0: a financial transformation consultancy, as she interviews key experts to give you real-world advice and guidance on how to transform your processes, people, and data. Welcome to CFO 4.0, the future of finance. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of CFO 4.0. As usual, I am your host, Hannah Monroe, And today I have with me Dr. John Gruder, who is the Assistant Professor of Organizational Behavior um, at Maynooth University, which for those of you that don't know, is the National University of Ireland. So welcome, John. Fabulous to have you on the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Hannah. Pleasure to be here.
0: So tell us a little bit about yourself, John, like wh- what has been your journey and what are some of the bits of research that you're working on at the moment?
1: Yeah, so my background is, you know, my undergrad was in business, but then during my PhD, I found a love for psychology, so to speak. And so I, I did a joint PhD in management and in psychology in uh, both France and Germany, and then uh, moved to Ireland about five years ago. And in terms of research, it's been mostly focused on leadership and the role that leaders play when it comes to the relationships they have with their followers and what that means with regard to change management, what that means with regard to going through a crisis together, and simply how do we appear as, as leaders to our followers is something that's It seems to be very important to leaders and it's something that's been very important to myself and my research as well.
0: No, absolutely. I think during COVID, I think the need for good and strong leadership has just become more and more apparent, but but obviously a lot more challenging. So tell us a little bit about what does a healthy leader, and I'll use the term follower, what does a good relationship look like?
1: So... Like any other relationship that you might think of in life with maybe a friend or a significant other, uh, the relationship is only healthy when you feel, when both parties feel that they're being supported, uh, when both parties feel that they are being heard and that their concerns are validated by the other person. Not necessarily agreed upon, you can disagree, that's fine. But when I come to my leader, you know, I do want that person to listen to me. I want that person to take me seriously. And so that is a, a very... It's a very very basic expectation of constitutes a a good or or a healthy relationship. But leadership is complex, so it's much more than that as well. This is a bare minimum. But also we expect leaders, our authority figures in the workplace, to really not only be supportive, but also show us the way, you know, guide us, direct us, and to some degree also inspire us. And that is something that you know has to do with motivation, has to do with well-being. So it's a cascading set of consequences that that leader and leader behaviors tend to give to followers
0: and is there uh just you know I'll go slightly off topic is and my listeners will tell you I do are a lot is you know like Maslow's hierarchy of needs is there a hierarchy of levels of leadership that you have where you sort of this is the basis and then it it moves its way up the train
1: um so like we can talk about Maslow's hierarchy as well uh, there's, <laughs> you know bits there that people don't tend to know about but the, the, to answer your question, it's a very, very uh, contentious matter in the research to say that, oh, we, we did some research. We looked at leaders and we looked at followers. And who were your leaders? Well, it was these people's supervisor. Uh, that's not necessarily the definition of a leader. So um, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want in my own research, but also many of my colleagues share that as well, to be stuck with the definition of who has power, who has authority, who has access to resource. That's a leader. That's not a leader. Uh, a leader is somebody that I consider to be a leader. So if my if my supervisor is not that to me, then this is not somebody that I see as my leader. This will not be somebody that I go to for advice, for direction. So it doesn't have to be constrained to hierarchy. You can have a leader who is on your level. You can have a peer, somebody that you trust, a trusted colleague, a respected colleague. That is somebody that you can, you know, oftentimes if I ask you and describe this person, they come up with with characteristics that we would normally attribute to leaders. And then I would ask the same person to describe your supervisor, and it's not always the same. So your supervisor can certainly be your leader. A manager can be a leader, but just because you're a manager doesn't make you automatically a leader.
0: So that's a really interesting concept, isn't it? So what are, you said, those characteristics of leadership. So tell us about what those characteristics of leadership are.
1: So this has been a question that we've been trying to uh, to answer for over a century. So the the history, so to speak, of leadership, it all started with this idea that there's a list of traits. Uh, So it's traits. We can just get this list of traits down on paper that we all as a society agree upon. These are the characteristics that make a leader. We can just agree that, okay, so if we meet somebody, let's say we're interviewing somebody for for a manager position, if they score seven out of 10, like they pick seven out of those 10 traits, let's say, they're automatically, it doesn't work like that. So that's a nice idea, very neat, it's very clean, but uh, it doesn't work for many reasons. So one is because this list would be growing, you know, infinitely. Like we, we come up with new words all the time. Uh, and so we would be constantly adding to this list of factoristics, which makes it seem really impossible. Like nobody can be all these things. But that's not even the most, um, you know, critical aspect of this idea. But it's rather that your definition of a leader is very different from mine. Like I can guarantee you, it's gonna be different enough for 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 both of us to meet the same person. All right. So let's assume we are both working together, we're in the same team, and a new team leader has been assigned to our team, as oftentimes happens, uh, or a new CEO or a new CFO, right? And and then we meet this person. Um depending on what my definition is of a leader, what my mental image is of an ideal leader, which is a product of many, many different things. It's a product of my personality, it's a product of early socialization experiences, what prior leaders have I had in my life that you might not have had? Um, those will be the factors that influence my mental image of a leader. And let's assume this person, this new CFO, for example, you know, resonates with me that that, that person seems to be similar enough in terms of behavior to, you know, prior leaders that I've had, leaders that I, de- I deem to be ideal. Uh, then I will say this is a leader to you. It might be a very different story. So, um, that's, that's the idea of implicit leadership uh, theory that we, we really each of us has an individually uh, different picture of what an ideal leader should be like. So, cannot answer the question. <laughs> that's
0: it. But, it, th- but that's actually a really interesting answer, in that, that makes it even more challenging for a leader, particularly one going into a new role, to, to fit potentially multiple different profiles of each individual yeah. in the team. So how, how, out of interest, has there been any research to say what people can do to, to help support that? And it is, I guess my question is, is it possible for a person to fit all of the profiles of leadership if they all have different views of what a leader looks like?
1: Yeah. So I would say that the number one uh, that you, you know, factor that you can control as a leader is to get to you know your team. And to get them know as individuals first and to get them know really well. So to make an active effort, not to just, you know, see it as you arrive at work. Now we are at work and this is your work self. And I don't care about anything else that's going on in your life, but rather to see the person as a whole, as a person. So, um, you know, sharing, uh, experiences themselves. So if you self disclose as a leader, that makes you seem more trustworthy in the eyes of others, uh, because it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, you're sharing vulnerability, basically. You're sharing something that you don't have to share. You know, that you like a particular kind of music or this is what you like to do on the weekends with the family. You know, those so things that are not work-related at all can be uh, very revealing about yourself. And that certainly at least builds a bridge of, of trust that the other person says, oh, okay, so this is not just, you know, a work person that I have to deal with, but this is a person. So, you know, that that opens up others to share themselves and that's what builds, you know, our relationship. And so over time, you, you start realizing, okay, so what is that re- that's really important to this person? And, and where are some of the areas that I as a leader can improve in, in terms of meeting that person's expectations of what a leader should be like? But it's a continuous process. So it's not something that you do, you know, you have one team meeting at the beginning of the year and, you know, that's it. Like we can all go home now. I know who you are and what you need as a follower. So it's a, Dedication and it's a commitment to, to really building long-lasting relationships, uh, which is not easy to do. Uh, so it, it, it requires a lot of effort, yeah.
0: Uh, is there anything else along those lines that particularly those coming into a new role should be thinking about in terms of how to build that leader-follower relationship?
1: Well, I mean, if you can, uh, it would be really good to have some prior information, so information about prior leaders that these individuals that you're about to lead now have been assigned to, you know, what kind of teams were they working in? Who was their leader? Can we get a profile on that person? You know, and a profile, I don't mean, you know, where did they study and, you know, how long have they been in the company, but rather, you know, some some behaviors, you know. uh, So ask other people, you know, uh, I'm about to start leading this team of four followers, let's say, I don't know anything about them, uh, but before I start engaging with them, I can find out, who was the, the person that was leading them before? If you can talk to that person directly, that's great. Find out more about them. See what you know, what kind of leader they were. And then see what the team said about that leader and whether that corresponded to their idea of what an ideal leader should be like. So essentially, uh, do your homework um, if you can. And uh, if you have that information, which is much more difficult if you're coming into the company from the outside, that's that's very difficult to do. But once you are there or if you're, if you're being promoted, then you should have access to at least people that know this person and can tell you a little bit about, you know, how they tend to behave or how would they describe this person. And, and we've shown that this is actually something that can be tested experimentally. Um, so it is not something that, um, you know, relies too much on an actual leader. It can be a fictional leader as well.
0: So we talked a little there about sort of obviously getting access to what a previous leader was like. Um, is emulation always the right way to go? Perhaps they weren't a strong leader. How would you approach it if they've had a perhaps a poor leader in, or suddenly a um, somebody that the team felt was a poor leader? How would you approach it in that scenario?
1: Right. Well, again, the question is whether or not you. Uh, I mean, if you know that the, the prior leader was uh, not seen as a good leader, I think it is just something that uh, requires uh, just very, you know, honesty and, and honest communication with the team to meet with them and say, I know that your experiences with a prior leader have not been ideal, have not been, you know, what they should be. And so, you know, tell me what you would like to see. You know, for, you know, in, in, somebody that, that is supposed to be leading you. It doesn't have to be you as in yourself to do this. But if you can find somebody that they, that they trust, a uh, well respected peer, somebody that's outside of that team. So not part of this team, but somebody that at least knows the team members. I think that can open up uh, a channel communication that, you know, they don't feel like they're, they're, they're saying anything that's like that confidential and they're afraid to step on anyone's toes, but rather just. You know, I'm having conversation with a colleague, and uh, this is to to improve the dynamics that we have within the team. I think that's something that anyone would appreciate uh, at the very least. Um, but you know, you should be honest about it. So you should say that, okay, so I know that this isn't the case. You know, we want to do things better. So what are some of the aspects that you would like to see uh, to, to to see improving? And when when you ask people that, they tend to focus on the just most important things. Because there might be a hundred things they don't like about the prior person, but they will focus on two or three things that can actually be addressed somehow. And then you have to do your very best as a leader, as a new leader to, to try and address those uh, as much as you can, as much as it's humanly possible. And also to communicate to everyone that this will take time, but you know, you're here to stay, you're here to, to do this with, with together with the team and to see it as a conversation, as a, you know, not just okay. So I told you what I want from you. Now go off and do it. But rather, you know, this has to be a relationship. It has to be dynamic.
0: And and I guess a lot of that is people's perception of what they think a leader is and should be. Um, how out of interest, yeah. has there been any research on people's perception of what they like? Perception of what they think a leader in versus almost an, an unconscious assessment of whether somebody's a a leader.
1: Yeah. So what, what's been done, and, and some of our own research has touched on this as well. So what we knew from quite some time ago is that um, is there's a process called leader transference, So which is exactly described as you had a leader at some point, point, right? and you described this person. And now you are faced with a different leader, with a new leader. We're giving you a hypothetical scenario where we say, imagine your leader leaves a company, leaves a team, you're assigned a new leader. Uh, you don't know anything about this person, but somebody that you used to work with does. So you go to them and you ask them, can you tell me something about this new leader? Let's call the new leader Bob. Okay. Just, just to have a name, just Bob from whatever department you like, right? And so you go to this colleague and you ask them, how would you describe Bob? Again, you know, you know nothing about Bob. And they say, they give you a list of traits. Uh, and essentially what that, that research found, and we use the same kind of experimental setup was that If Bob reminds you of a prior leader, and if you had a good relationship with your prior leader, then you will expect to have a good relationship with Bob. If you had a bad relationship with your prior leader, and Bob reminds you of this person, not in terms of what they look like, but in terms of how they behave, then you will also expect to have a bad relationship with Bob. You don't even know Bob. Bob doesn't even exist. Bob is a fictional person, right? And so we know that uh, individuals tend to transfer past relationship um, you know, uh, characteristics or quality to and turn them into expectations when it comes to future relationships. We do this, by the way, a lot outside of work, but it also works very much inside of the workplace. So what we did in our research is we looked at, can we predict how strongly somebody is going to be engaging in this process of transferring past relationships To new relationship expectations and we find we can actually predict it based on, you know, the relational traits of these individuals, of these followers. So depends on how, how much you relied on your prior leader. Maybe you were very anxious and you, you always need your leader to be close by. If that's the case, you're likely going to expect to, to do that with a new leader as well. But if you're very like self, you know, self-reliant, independent, you just want to be left alone to do your work then you're less likely to engage in this transference process. And then to make things even more complicated, then we looked at culture and culture seems to play a big role. I mean, national culture seems to play a big role in terms of, you know, what are our perceptions of leaders and, and how do we uh, balance those when it comes to new leaders? And again, these were fictional people. Like they know they're in an experiment. They know the fictional scenario. And uh, it's really interesting to see that even in a fictional scenario, these prototypes are activated and people start transferring past relationships to new relationships. So that's a really interesting. So a leader doesn't even have to be real for us to start engaging in that process and seeing them as a leader. And, and in our minds, okay, so Bob is now my leader. Bob doesn't exist, right? Uh, and, and we still find the same, the same type of transference that, that you would see in, you know, when looking at actual leaders. That's really yeah, no,
0: that's super interesting because it almost there's there's a point, isn't there, about how you set somebody new into role up for success? Because if you describe yeah. them and their behaviour is the same as the previous leader, those that had a good relationship would assume they're going to have a good relationship. Those that perhaps didn't exactly. would have that automatic exactly. assumption and almost like a, a barrier up. So there's an interesting people. Yep. There's an interesting perspective for those that are leading you know that are always at the top end of the chain and bringing new leaders in for how they actually describe that person as they come into the organization
1: yeah so that's something that i think top management can do a better job at basically if you want to try to minimize the, the potential fallout from you have a team uh, you know and, and of course the more senior the team the more drastic the consequences so if you're looking at a top management team And you replace the CEO, you replace the CFO, right? You just throw this person into, you know, into this new environment and it's like, okay, well, hopefully this will work out better. But no, you can actually do a little bit more, like find out, you know, how did these individuals in the team see that leader, see that, for example, CFO, right? And, you know, what kind of relationship did they have with that person? Is this new person very similar to that, to that other person that left the firm? And if so, that might be an issue because if the relationships weren't good before and you're showing them, look here, this is your 2.0, you know, uh, Bob, 2.0, right? But it's still Bob, right? <laughs> <laughs> like to them at least. So they will just expect, okay, so this is going to be the same, you know, of what we always knew. That's no change. Um, and you're going to automatically have your wall up and say, you know, I, I'm only going to be very super, super professional about this. I'm not going to be, engaging with this person on anything that is not work related um and uh, that makes it very difficult um to build a, a relationship of trust especially in the long term
0: and you mentioned earlier that the expectations of leadership differ nationally so by that do you mean within each yeah. country so um
1: yeah within within each country or within uh you know uh culture clusters so um you know, there's, there's been a lot of research done, some of it by my colleagues as well, to look at an international, like, let's can we get an international picture of what an ideal leader is like to to you know, employees all around the world? And uh, this is some work that was done, uh, I think, in 2004, uh, which is called the GLOBE study. Um, and uh, they they did find, you know, vast differences, depending on how far you go, culture-wise, um, that you know, with regard to expectations, what a leader should be like. So there certainly are differences if you compare, for example, um, you know, Mexico and Germany and the Netherlands or even the UK or Ireland Um, with regard to, you know, flat hierarchy. um, Are you going to be in a team where, you know, it doesn't matter what your hierarchy is. If you have an idea, it will be heard, it will be respected, it will be listened to. Uh, and that's a very much a product of national culture as well. So in, in certain countries, this will never happen. Like, you know, the, you won't feel comfortable sharing your idea. It wouldn't even occur to you that you are, you're being asked to do this because it's so far from, you know, what the culture or norms dictate you to behave. So there's a large power distance. Whenever there's a large power distance between yourself and the leader or a authority figure, you're much less likely to, to be, you know, Perceive that or to be perceiving yourself as somebody that, yeah, I can just share my opinion and I won't be, you know, punished for it. I won't, this won't seem awkward to anybody. Um, And we know that this is the case. And, you know, in in some countries, you can share your ideas freely and people will listen, right? And I'd say uh, UK, Ireland, Netherlands, uh, particularly as well. That's very much the case. Also, from personal experience, and I live in the Netherlands. So, but in other countries, like Germany, you don't have to go that far. You don't have to go all the way to Mexico. Um, that is less, less likely to be the case. Um, and so, you know, there are certainly cultural differences. And whenever it comes to expectations of anything, perceptions of anything, culture plays a very big role.
0: Now, for the one million
1: pound question. What is the best finance software for your business? Is it A. Sage 50? Is it B. Sage 200 Standard? C. Sage 200 Professional? Or D. Sage Intact? An impossible question to answer without a lifeline. But we have the perfect lifeline for you. Our free quiz. Which Sage product is right for you? We'll tell you which products is the best fit for your business in just five minutes. All you need to do is head to www.itassolutions.co.uk and answer a few simple questions.
0: And that's really interesting for those, because we work with a lot of CFOs that are leading global teams. So, you know, like they'll have uh, a team in the UK, a team in the US, a team in France or Germany. So where can people find find out about what are the almost the leadership expectations for the different countries that they're working with.
1: So I can provide a couple of links to, um, to a couple of dashboards. One of them, so the, the GLOBE study that I was talking about earlier was based on work that was done by cross-cultural uh, researcher um, uh, Hofstede, and he, he passed away a few, few years ago, um, but he's done some incredible work in terms of looking at just cross-cultural differences not leadership specifically and then the globe study builds on that so um i can provide um, a couple links to to some more resources on that and you can just literally check individual countries uh and and look at what the expectations are and see where you might fit in i mean just because you are born into a culture doesn't mean that this is the culture that you most closely identify with because you can also move, obviously, and your parents can move and if you live in, in several countries, as we now know many people do or or have been, that really, you know, makes things even more complex because now you have to ask yourself, you know, okay, do you what culture do you most closely identify with? I mean, yeah, looking at the country where you spent the most amount of time in is certainly helpful. It's a proxy, but it's not necessarily the right Answer. so that's only something that you can figure out for yourself so if you live five years here and five years there and five years there you know which is the which is the culture identity that you most can relate to uh, as an individual first and then as an employee um, but as an employee it gets uh, even more complex because of course you have like you were saying these large companies, multinational companies and a lot of them are american and a lot of them you know impose this well maybe impose the wrong word but they embrace this very american organizational work culture very like professional and we don't we, we use first name on a first name basis you know with everybody it doesn't matter if you're ceo or not things like that which are, i find very endearing but might come across as very different let's say to to employees in, in different countries where you have that large power distance, like I feel very uncomfortable, you know, I have students who feel very uncomfortable just calling me John. Now, there's, to be fair, there's very few of them. But most of them feel very comfortable. But there's some that say, no, I feel very uncomfortable because it's not, you know, in my culture, that's not how you do it. So they always use the full title. And I'm like, you know, it's a little bit, uh you know, feels a bit strange to me at this stage, but, you know, that's fine. So if that's what works for them, that's what works for them. And so it's these small differences, but that just, Add up and, uh, you find yourself every once in a while, like, you know, how much do, how much can I actually relate to my leader? And the question doesn't usually pop into your mind. Maybe this is about culture. And so, you know, when we were working on this paper where we looked at culture, I, we ran the study first in Greece and it worked as expected. Then we ran the study in the US and the results were very different. Now they were still consistent, but they were very different. And so, I was a little bit lost for words. This was my work during my PhD. And, you know, like you have to finish, right? There's a deadline. So like, let's, we need to get this out. The results were confusing. So I, I was having a conversation with, uh, you know, now my wife and she was like, well, maybe it's culture. And I was like, oh, please don't let it be culture because it's so complicated, right? It gets really messy very quickly. But she was absolutely right as she is most things. Yes, it was culture <laughs> because we ran the study in India and then we had these three very different countries and we found that the cultural norms how individualistic you're expected to behave collectivistic you're expected to behave certainly has an influence on whether or not you're going to engage in the transference of past relationships to new relationships so it's complex it's messy but it's a lot of fun as well so i think as an individual if you have some idea as to what is the culture I relate to most and that can change over your lifetime I think it will if you keep moving around, then that is something that will hopefully be helpful in helping you understand your own perceptions of others, be it, be it leaders or be it anybody else, really. So it's a lot about self awareness, what I'm trying to say.
0: And also, I guess, about your direct reports awareness as well, because if they come yeah. from if they themselves are made, cause we get a lot of people from, from different countries, obviously, especially given we were, at, well, we were previously part of the European Union, but that's a different conversation. But there's a lot of people that come and I, and I work with a lot of finance teams where they'll have somebody from Poland, somebody from, um, from Germany, from France that have just come over to the UK. So I guess one of the big shout outs for those, particularly those coming in perhaps to a new role is to understand their direct reports and what culture they yeah. most identify with as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So whatever information you can get ahead of time or even at the very beginning, once you start a new role, because you can't always get all the information ahead of time, then, you know, that is, that's very, very useful. And you should really take your time and interpret and, you know, really try to digest that information. Try to understand what does this mean for the other person? Like try to understand their viewpoint. Okay. So they come from this culture. It doesn't mean they automatically think like the average average citizen Uh, average means statistically the average whatever the average is uh perception of what a leader should be like they might have a very very different idea of what a leader should be like because they live you know let's say that person is german right and then they live i don't know 10 years in brazil and then you know four or five years uh in the u.s it's going to be a very different idea of what a leader is i can almost guarantee you right so um this person might not come across as very uh a very german in terms of their expectations and their perceptions of things. So. It really depends on not so much, you know, what's your passport, right? Where do you come from? But rather, what do you identify with the most in terms of a culture?
0: And we've talked a lot about um, almost an, a, fo- a, a follower's um, expectation of a leader. But yeah. are there different kind of types of relationships between leaders and followers that we could talk about?
1: Yeah, so the, the most traditional way of thinking about leaders and followers you know, especially as a leader is, I want my followers to follow me. Like that's the bare minimum. This is what I want, right? So actually, when you're saying this, essentially what you're saying is you want passive followers. You want people to go along with your opinions. You want people to agree with you. And that is not the type of follower that I like to encourage my students to be. And I say, teach leadership and to executives and to undergrads, you know, and it's always like, well, how can you be a better leader? Well, in order for you to be a better leader, you have to first understand how to be a better follower because what people tend to forget is you're a leader, sure, but you're also a follower. Like usually you have somebody that you report, right? Even if you're at the very, very top of the organization, you still report to a board. So there's still going to be somebody that checks in and follows up to some degree, less and less regular as you move up the hierarchy, but it's nonetheless there. So if you want to understand how to be a better leader, first understand, you know, how to be a better follower. So. Leadership through followership, okay? So the best follower that I encourage my students and anyone that's willing to listen uh, to, to be is uh, an active follower. And an active follower is somebody who, sure, they will go along with what the leader thinks is right when they agree, but also they will speak up against the leader and say, no, I don't think that's a good idea because reason A, reason B, C, and so on. But that requires a different caliber of, of a follower, right? Because going along is relatively easy. Being passive, I mean, it's in the word itself, right? You just pass, just don't do anything, uh, and everything will be working itself out. But, you know, the, the active follower is really the one that takes on the risk and thinks about what, what is about to be implemented, you know, from top down and thinks about how does this affect me and how does this affect everybody else that works with me and for me? Does this work or does it not? Does it need an adjustment? And then we get to the conversation on psychological safety and do people actually feel like they can speak up at work? Will they not be punished for doing so? Is a very toxic culture, organizational culture, and all of these variables then flow into this. But if you have somebody that speaks up nonetheless, that's really the follower that you ought to uh, embrace as a leader. That's the person that will create more followers, that will inspire other people to go, uh, with your leadership to go with your decision making. So bringing these people in a uh, very quickly, uh, fairly quickly identifying who they are and then bringing them into the conversation and making a more democratic, participative leadership. Most of the time in most industries, this is what will be seen as, you know, favorable outcome. Some industries, this doesn't work, right? So you have very like rigid industries where you're like, think about the military, right? That, that will never happen. So because it's not designed to work like that. So. You're not going to have, you cannot have soldiers refusing to do, to implement commands because the whole structure starts falling apart. And then there's other settings as well. When you think of like medical settings, like in surgery room, right, there's not going to be a debate on how things are. There's not going to be a discussion, but it's going to be the head surgeon and like things will work out in the way they, they want it to work. That's the process they follow. They dictate what music will be playing in the room, like all of these small um, decisions. But, you know, this is very much a rigid kind of structure. But in most organization contexts we don't have that, so we we do see that uh, when a follower speaks up when a follower disagrees actively, but for good reason, not just because I don't like you you know I don't see you as a leader, so I'm going to say no you know that's that's obviously very silly, but if you do have adequate reasons, then you think that you should bring these to the re- the relevant person's attention, and that relevant person that leader should not be dismissive. And if they are dismissive, then that really showcases that they are more insecure about what they're about to implement, what they want to see, uh, rather than somebody that, you know, has a high degree of self-awareness and can say, okay, so this is criticism. I'm gonna take that on board and we're actually going to, you know, implement some of those, you know, we're gonna look at some of those decisions to be implemented and reexamine them. But really do that, not just to say something like, I'll consider that and then you just do what you had planned. So uh, best follower to be is an active follower. And that includes speaking your mind when things, things are not as they should be. Uh, and the leader should really embrace that, a good leader at least.
0: So that's a really interesting comment there, that actually embracing the, or not the conflict, but almost embracing that feedback loop piece, which is, Something almost. Uh, I think some leaders actually, you know, dread the conversation where people oh, speak up and say, "I don't want to do that." Yeah. What other signs are there of a good leader follower relationship? You talked about both the ability for somebody to speak up, yeah, and for that to be receptive and to be acknowledged and thought about and considered versus, etc. What other are there? Any other signs that people should look at when they're almost analysing their own leader follower relationships?
1: Well, I mean, the the very easy kind of task or question to ask yourself is who is the person that you go to for advice? Like who is the person yeah. that you trust? And if you don't immediately think like in your, in a work context, right? If you don't immediately think of your supervisor or the team leader, then it's not that person. If that, that is, so it must be somebody else, right? Um, so if I tell you, okay, think about your workplace, think about all the people that you interact with on a daily basis, a regular basis. Who do you go to for advice, for support, for guidance, And for mentorship even, right? And I think it's a very bad idea for your leader to be your mentor, by the way, as well, because there's, it's not a powerless relationship. They have power over you. They can demand that you submit, you know, your work on time and things like that. So that really messes up what a, what a mentee mentor relationship should be about. Uh, so having a mentor outside of the workplace or at the very least having a mentor outside of your team and maybe even your department, that can certainly work. But having a, your leader, like your direct report as a mentor is very, very questionable I'd say, in the long run. So who do you go to for, for advice, for guidance? And oftentimes it's not your leader, but oftentimes it is somebody on that level who has a lot of experience in the firm, but it's not your direct report. And I think that's because, you know, oftentimes this uh, piece about mentorship comes in here too. Like there is no reason why this other person who's not my leader might want to see me fail. And so I'm gonna to go to that person. Versus my leader, depending on how you know what kind of relationship it is, might be a very toxic relationship. You're gonna be very very conscious and probably even afraid to go to this person, and rightly so, because past behavior has shown that your leader you know tends to throw you under the bus, you know whenever it is I mean figuratively speaking of whenever it is uh, you know relevant for them, whenever it makes sense for them, and. And then we get into this, these, these relationship between followers and particular types of leaders, like narcissistic leaders, for example, that are quite prevalent in organizations because of the way that these, these type of individuals tend to rise to leadership positions. So, yeah, it gets more and more complicated. But I always like to say, you know, if behavior were easy, I'd be out of a job. So it's, <laughs> it's really good that it's complicated. We it will have lots and lots of things to research and talk about for many years to come. So, yeah.
0: No, absolutely, and to be honest, I think that we've gone slightly off from what we originally uh, talked about in terms of the topic, but it's been fascinating. So, the one thing I just do want to pick up because I thought it's a really interesting comment is you said that leaders and mentors are very different things. Yeah. So, could you explain to us what is the difference between a leader and a mentor? Um, and yeah, so that, yeah, I think it's so, a really interesting concept.
1: Yeah. So the reason why I said it, um, like I explained, you know, earlier with regard to um, just the power imbalance. So we tend to use these words, leaders, you know, leadership, what is a leader quite loosely. And so most of the time what we're referring to in the workplace are managers. We are not actually referring to leaders. We're referring to managers. And like I was saying earlier, just because you're a manager doesn't make you a leader. So that's not a, even a minimum criteria to be a leader. You don't have to be a manager. You don't have to have power over people. At leadership, I always define leadership as influence. So if you can influence others towards a common goal, then that's leadership. Uh, you don't have to be a manager for that. The difference between a leader uh, in the sense that we use it, which is actually referring to a manager and a mentor, uh, is frankly quite drastic because uh, a manager, what does a manager do? A manager maintains processes, updates policies, implements decisions. Managers are very much required in an organization. I'm Saying that they don't, we don't need managers. Managers very much are needed because without managers, nothing will get done, right? So managers are needed. But is the manager somebody that you will go to for career advice, for things like, you know, um, could you actually speak openly to your manager and say, in five or ten years' time, you know, I want to be somewhere else. I don't want to be in this organization. I don't think you would ever say that. So um, because it's, you know. No, it's like the equivalent of saying during an interview, where do you see yourself in five years time? Well, I would be so out of here you know, in five years time. Like no one would say that, right? Even if that's your God's honest truth, right? So the difference between a manager and a a mentor is a mentor is somebody you can trust. It's somebody that is usually much, much older than yourself, uh, much more established. Somebody who has maybe even reaching the end of their career. uh, And so they have nothing to lose. Like there's nothing for them to be gained from seeing you fail, except for, of course, like if they're very like Machiavellian or something, you know, they really get a kick out of this, but there's very, very few individuals, luckily that, that are like that. So that's a positive news. So a mentor is somebody that you can go to for all kinds of advice and questions. I've been thinking about this problem. It's nothing really concrete. It's not like a data problem or something, but I've been wondering, you know, what would one do in a type of situation like You know, when you're up for promotion, you know, what are some of the things that to watch out for? I'm not sure if I will go to my manager for that and expect them to actually give me the answer or be able to tell me from their experience. Now, you might be very lucky and you might have a very positive relationship to your manager. But I would say if you look at the data, most people, when you ask them, who's your mentor, they refer to somebody who's either outside the organization or outside of their team. Because of this lack of a power balance. So a power imbalance, apologies. So this is a person that's very established in their career. You know, they, they might see themselves in you. All right. And that might, might make them, you know, very uh, open to helping you and at the very least having a conversation. And a mentor is somebody that will necessarily tell you, here's what you need to do. Now well, they can't do that because they have, they have similar experience. They come from the same, similar background, but it is certainly somebody who can say, well, this is what happened to me. Let me tell you a story. And you tell the story and then it's up to you to make sense of that. Think about, okay, how does this apply to me? And most of the time, you know, when it is something that not necessarily they did right, but something they did wrong, so they have to be open to being able to share that with you as well. Like here's, here's a moment where I messed up, right? And I think you can learn from that. So that's what I'm telling you. Again, I don't think many managers would do that in terms of when I say the data shows. That doesn't mean that there aren't managers that are not seen as, as mentors. Of course, they can be. But most of them, like the vast majority of them, like over 90% of them, uh, of individuals say their mentor is somebody outside their team, at the very least outside their team. So that includes their manager
0: that's really interesting so i'm very aware that we're rapidly running out of time here and and I, re- I really do feel like i could ask you questions about leadership all day i won't i promise but it's been absolutely fascinating i can i can imagine you have your students enthralled in your in your courses so but just cuz obviously the the topic that we have very much covered today is all about how do you build and develop the right kind of leader follower relationships how do you set yourself up for success as a, a, either a new leader or a leader already in the team so what are your top tips for for doing that for for being both seen as a strong leader by both your obviously your direct reports the people that you are leading but yeah. also as being as a strong member of the team from the people that you report into
1: yeah so i would say maybe the the three most important aspects that we touched upon today increase your self-awareness and that's not something that you're ever done with so it's not like reach 100 percent; you're done now I never have to do that again no so it's a continuous process so try to at the very at the very least continuously increase your self-awareness and, you know as you gain more experience as a leader as you gain more experience as a follower because remember you're always the follower of somebody that's very, very important. The second aspect, I would say, is encourage active followership. Don't be discouraged by people that tell you, oh, I don't think that's a good idea, or "Been in a company for 10 years, you've just come in, and so you don't really know how things work around here. Don't see it as judgment. Don't see it as negative feedback, but see it as something that this is your opportunity to learn, and this is your opportunity to encourage your followers to take a more active role, which also helps you because, frankly, you know, they're taking on more of the responsibility, which is what you want. You should want not just to delegate certain aspects of a task that you don't want to do yourself, but rather delegate responsibility, share responsibility. So creating this climate, team climate of perhaps you can even say shared leadership at some degree. So encourage active followership. And then lastly, I would say, do your homework, get information when, uh, even if you think you've got it all figured out, chances are you probably don't, try to get more information about who it is that you're leading, who is it that was leading them before you, and what are the kind of uh, characteristics that they would use to describe their path, leader-follow relationship. Try to identify that either from them directly, having that conversation, or indirectly through other people that might know your team members. Do your homework. Get that information. Interpret it and try your very best to address it. And when you address it, uh, do speak honestly and, and directly with them. Don't beat around the bush, you know, really go for it and make a commitment that you are going to do better. And I don't mean just let's do better, like a new year resolution, um, but those things that fall apart after three weeks, but rather things like, here's how we're going to do better. So I'm going to address this first point, second, third, fourth, you know, your, your prior manager maybe didn't really take the time to do regular team meetings, that's going to change, right? That's something very concrete that you can change. More one-on-ones, you know, that's something that during the pandemic, especially. It's something that we've lost. We've lost this, you know, walking down the corridor in the office and just popping into people's office like, hey, how's it going, right? Uh, and it's just, that's a one-on-one, actually. Now it's an official meeting on Teams or on Zoom, but that's very much required because to show presence and to show that you care. Uh, as a leader and the best way to do that is of course to check in on your employees not with something that they work they need to do but rather hey how's it going because i care enough to ask you this question because i genuinely care uh, about making sure that you know you are actually keeping well and that things are okay and is there something that i can do to make your work life a little bit easier so sorry that was a very bit long but essentially it's three points so
0: yeah. <laughs> no, that's brilliant, and I think for any of those those leaders out there listening, I've certainly learned a lot about how leaders can behave in a way that actually does it. And I was also fascinated to understand about both the global differences, but also about the impacts that when you're going into a new role, that you can have both. You know, by what is said before you even go into it, it's, it's, it's amazing to learn about that perception piece. So thank you so much, John. I'm hoping that all of our listeners, and I'm sure they have, have gone as much out of it as I have. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today.
1: Oh, Likewise. Thank you so much, Hannah, for having me. Absolute pleasure.
0: So if people want to learn more about obviously your research and the work that your university is doing, or perhaps even just about leaders and followers and building those strong relationships, what's the best place for them to go? What resources can you recommend?
1: So I will provide a couple of links to, uh, with regard to culture and how culture impacts leadership. And I'll put those maybe in the show notes and um, yeah. also include a link to my uh, university website and Otherwise, you know, for any other type of questions, you know, always feel free to reach out to me on, on LinkedIn, just J You'll find me, connect with me and just ask away basically, and we'll keep the conversation going.
0: Brilliant. And for those that uh, would like to, I'll pop in a link as well to John's profile. So, and it's um, he's been an amazing source of information. So I certainly will be keeping a close eye. So thank you again, John. And uh, yeah, Um, and to all of our listeners, I'm sure you will join me in saying a massive thank you to John for his, uh, his insight today. It's been really fascinating.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Hannah.
0: So for me, one of the most important things about any transformation project is the partners that you work with. And whilst I'd love to list off a whole host of reasons why ITAS is the perfect partner for your transformation project, why don't I let our customers do the talking for us? One really good thing working with ITAS is it's dramatically reduced my blood pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Obviously, an account system is critical to... Uh, anyone's business so innovation data without that like every company we couldn't function as a company so you know it's one of the most critical pieces of software and any sort of vulnerability we have with that sort of keeps you awake at night and now working with ITAS I don't have any concerns about our account functionality and our account system and the usability and all of that working with previous partners um, I've got some grey hairs and uh, sleepless nights from that, as I say, because it's so critical. So, it's been an absolute pleasure, and yeah, long may the relationship continue.